Welcome to Parkview. We're glad to have you here. Can I just say something right up front? Where'd he go? Pastor Brian Hunt is in here somewhere. I just want to say hey. There he is over there. We love you, man. Good to see you back. Those of you who don't know Brian, he was our campus pastor at Lockport, and uh, we released him to go take a, a really cool church out in California, and he's blowing it up out there, and he and I are going to sit down afterwards, and I'm going to talk him through all the mistakes I've made lately, and um, you know that's kind of what we do. Hopefully, he doesn't have to make them all. We're really, really glad you're here. Moms, here's my cartoon for you today. Uh, one vacation day a year, that's all I get. Yep, we call it Mother's Day. Technically, you still have to work, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes. Um, it's weird for me a little bit because um, I got, I got, I mean, it's good. It's good. I got mothers coming out the wazoo in my family, you know? I mean, I really do. My mom is, a, she lives in Fort Wayne, but she's still around in good health. My mother-in-law is down in Springfield, Missouri. She's still around. My wife is an awesome mom. She's the only live mom I get to be around today. Uh, but then I've got two daughters that are moms now. So like on social media, what are you supposed to do? Which, which mom are you supposed to like be posting about? I don't, I, I'm confused. I got, I got too many moms. Here's a picture of the family, just so you can see my, uh, my daughter moms. That's uh, from last Thanksgiving. It's just fun to be in this situation where we can recognize all of our moms and all the great people that we have around us. Really super fun when your daughters grow up and you get to see uh, what God does in their life. Um, and, and it's the kids. The kids are fun. Why God made moms by second graders. Here we go. Why did God make moms? Well, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. <laughs> Mostly to clean the house, to help us get out of there when we are getting born. <laughs> That's too much information. What ingredients are mothers made out of? Uh, clouds, angel hair, everything nice in the world, and one big dab of mean. <laughs> Why did God give you your mom and not some other mom? Well, we're related, duh. God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me. That's what you think, sucker. What kind of little girl was your mom? My mom has always been my mom and none of that other stuff. I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. <laughs> what does your mom do in her spare time? Mothers don't do spare time. Or to hear her tell it, she pays bills all day long. What would it take to make your mom perfect? On the inside, she's already perfect. On the outside, a little plastic surgery. Uh, or diet. You know, like her hair, I'd dye it. Maybe blue. That's a good color. If you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? She has this weird thing about me keeping my room clean. I'd, I'd change that. I'd make my mom smarter. Then she would know it was my sister who did it and not me. <laughs> Feel ya. My, uh, what? Why did your mom marry your dad? My dad makes the best spaghetti in the world and my mom eats a lot. <laughs> she got too old to do anything else with him. <laughs> well, my grandma says mom didn't have her thinking cap on that day. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, moms. We're, we're, uh, we're glad you're here. We appreciate everything you do. Honor our father and our mother. Um, 
And, and so I've been saying this along the way. Um, it, it's, it's tricky for me to preach on Mother's Day, obviously, because, you know, I'm a guy and I, I don't get all that. But also, I know that a lot of you, uh, a lot of you moms, your kids are like, oh, I want to come to church on Mother's Day. So, so you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want me to have some, you know, flowery Downton Abbey kind of a sermon, you know, about, uh, you know, hallelujah, moms are great, and then we all walk and go, we go home. You want something that's going to that's gonna intrigue them. And so that's why we hit on this idea of uh, interviewing Taya Kyle. Uh, Taya Kyle is the wife of the American sniper, um, the wife of Chris Kyle, who, uh, just for those of you that don't know the story, the, the few of you that maybe didn't see the movie or whatever, Chris Kyle was the uh, most decorated, had the most kills of any sniper in American history. And I know you're like, well, is that a good thing? Well, um, he was protecting the Marines as they were going in. I mean, that's, that's what his job was, was to protect, you know, and take care of his team. And that's why he was such an American hero, because, you know, a lot of people depended on him. He, he saved a lot of soldiers' lives. And, um, and, and Taya married him. You'll hear the story. You know, he goes and does three tours, I think, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, and, you know, comes back, finally says, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay home, I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to be a husband, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, becomes a guy, because he's, he was a good-hearted man, um, who helped veterans. And um, so he took a veteran out shooting one day at a shooting range near his home, and the veteran turned on him and shot and killed him and his friend. So after all, if, if we're going to talk about insomnia, if we're going to talk about what keeps you up at night, um, after all the worrying, you know, about being in the war, all of a sudden something else happens along the way. And, and I just thought it would be a great interview for you to understand a little bit more of, of the emotion of what moms go through and insomnia and kind of wrap it up together. It's a picture from uh, Dallas Stadium, Texas Stadium. Um, Chris Kyle's funeral had to be at Texas Stadium because so many people wanted to come. And here's a picture of Taya with, uh, with his team around her up on stage as, as uh, she was even able to make a tribute to her husband. And, and I just wanted to show you a little video clip of the very end of the movie where they actually go to the actual, the actual processional of the, of the cars. Um, and it's just a gripping scene just, just to know how many people are all along the roadside um, giving thanks for this American hero. Watch this. We've had that experience in our own congregation. One of our own, Aaron Toppin, um, was killed in action over in Afghanistan uh, several years ago. And I got to introduce his mom, Pam, to Taya while we were doing this all together. I wanted to make sure that happened. And I was, I was a part of the, I mean, the processional from Midway Airport down, down to here was incredible for him. And then headed down to Mokina, it was the same thing. It was just this, this moment where you realize that these people have given their lives for your country and, and you're grateful. But you also realize that other people have to go on and live with that. So without further ado, here's our interview with Taya Kyle. 
Well, we're glad that you're here. Uh, this is a different Mother's Day, but uh, just been really, really impressed, uh, as you probably have, by the story of Chris Kyle, the American sniper, and um, just had this idea to invite Taya to come and have a conversation with us. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Got my wife in on it because um, she's a lot smarter than me anyway, and it's Mother's Day, and she's uh, the resident Mother's Day expert. So I uh, brought her in on it because I want to talk about some, you know, some of these things that are going to relate to our audience, but also to the guys in the audience to think about Chris and who he was. And, and I guess, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of talking about the things that uh, in this series, we're going to talk about the things that keep you up at night, the things that keep you from sleeping. And obviously you've had a lot of that in your life. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for um, having me. Let's, I mean, start back at the, a little bit of the beginning. Tell us about the beginning, the, the love part. I mean, in your book, you kind of broke things up into the into the different parts, the love part. Start us with that, because I mean, we should be encouraged about our marriages. And I, I guess one of the things that really hit me, reading your book especially, was just to do more appreciation. I mean, we've had 32 years together, but more appreciation for my wife, because I don't know how long I've got her. Tell us about you and Chris. You know, it was it was interesting because before I met him, I wanted to be an independent career woman. I was young and thought I had a good job, and I was in Southern California, and man, I was just going to kind of find myself and go my own way. And then just life did what it kind of does sometimes, and I started feeling like maybe I wasn't supposed to be alone, and I was disappointed <laughs> that I couldn't do that, but I also felt like I was getting the so message. Was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I started praying to God that He would just send me someone nice, and. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember where I was, and I felt like God knew that in my heart, nice meant more than just your typical everyday nice, but good person, good values, good heart, pure. And I also told God specifically, I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what age he is. I don't care what he does for a living. Like, please just, just send me this. And so it wasn't probably but a few weeks later at most that I was in a bar in San Diego, and God answered my prayer, which I think is funny, too, because it doesn't really matter where you are for God to answer a, a prayer. And he'll make things happen that are supposed to happen. Yeah. And Chris truly struck me that night as one of the nicest people I'd ever met. And there was something different about the look in his eye and all of that. So it was somebody that I just couldn't resist. And I didn't I knew a life as a military wife would not be easy. And I didn't want to do that. But. I loved him, and I think that God knew what he was doing because he was it for me, and he was he was somebody that would, I didn't care what he did for a living, I guess. That was, I had to go back to my prayer. I said I didn't care. I got to be, you know, be honest for that, and, and I would have done anything with him, and so I think that's the way a lot of military and first responder relationships start, too, is that they have to love each other enough to say, yeah, it's going to be hard, but for you, I'm in, and that's, I think, the tragedy in the divorce rate. It's... You know, 80% and up for those two groups. Yeah. So as a military wife, there's some extra things that are going to cause heartache on the marriage. But you talk pretty openly about the, the goods and the bads. Uh, I think we do. And I also. like the way you talked about how you all sought help mm -hmm. when you needed it. And I, I don't think enough couples do that or they're afraid to or too prideful. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, I think... I've given a lot of thought to it, and one of the things that I go back to is I think if you were given one pair of shoes and it was supposed to last you the rest of your life, what great care you would take of those shoes. You would 
not ever let them be probably dirtier on the course of being worn out. I mean, you would pay a lot of attention and do whatever it took to take care of them and keep them in great shape. And I think that sometimes we don't think of our marriage as this is, this is it for the rest of our life. This is my one pair. This is my one set that, that I've got. Let me nurture it and take care of it and never, ever think of it as something that can be replaced or tossed out and that it's supposed to be your foundation like shoes. I mean, this is it. This is what you're walking through life with. And I think if we can do that, then yeah, if, if it needs help, if it's rubbed a little raw on the side or if the, the soul's getting a little worn out, then you go find some help and, and get it fixed. I think you'd need less help if in your heart you looked at it that way and thought the marriage is first. It's it's before myself. It's before anything that society brings to the table. What do I what do I do to make this foundation be solid, fun, loving? It, it can be all those things, even when life is a mess, I think. That kind of segues us into um, raising kids. We've raised three daughters, but I've had you know, it's been this partner been thing. He's yeah. been there. And yeah. I have such a heart for our single moms out there. And you were basically a single mm-hmm. mom a lot of the time. Why don't you talk to us about that um, and how you got through those times, encourage our single moms out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I look back now and I think some of those times where things were hard. As, as a mother, as a wife, as a friend to the widows of our friends who, who died overseas and their wives, I feel like I'm confident that God knew what was coming. And I'm confident that he prepared me in doses that I could handle. And so the doses with, with the deaths of our friends, that ended up being pretty important to me in the end. It was painful to, to live through, but it helped me to handle it better. And I think with parenting, ultimately, I am a single parent now. And I think that the doses I got early on were very helpful because I didn't like it and I had to make peace with it in some ways. At the same time, I got the benefit of having Chris, who I think was just an exceptional father. And I don't think there are a lot of men out there who can balance being the fun dad with the dad that has high standards, with the dad that is soft and loving and affectionate. You know, it's a it's a unique combination, I think. And you could be the bear and play poke the bear at the same time. Yes, yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Very oh, well said. Very well said. Yes. And nobody's angry with each other. They don't feel like their life is horrible because they're held to a standard. In fact, they get a lot of benefit when they go to other families' houses and I'm away, which doesn't happen that often, but if it's just a one night I'll I'll leave them with somebody and if it's more than that, they come with me. But they get such positive feedback from other families who say, oh, I love having your kids here. They're so you know, polite, respectful, the things that Chris originally showed. And, and so I think some of those things have made it easier. The parts that I think are very difficult in being a single mom still, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have somebody to share the memories and the joys. I hate that because I want to be able to say 10 years from now, do you remember when they did this or that? So I do have a couple of friends that I try to share those moments with. I think that's that's painful. I also think that um, trying to be the mom and the dad is hard. But it's possible, right? Because you know that you can't just be that the nurturing, safe haven for them to run to. You also have to be the person that, that holds that high standard. Yeah, and I do... 
Right, and you know, the, the good cop, bad cop kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in certain situations, maybe the mom's the bad cop and the dad's the yeah. good cop, whatever that is. But the other thing is that I like my kids to see a healthy marriage, so I'm selective about whose homes they go to. Mm -hmm. And I purposely find those relationships that the husband and wife are laughing, they're loving, uh -huh. they're affectionate, where I, I want my kids to spend more of that time. It's not that I'm so selective that I say no to one thing and yes to another, but I, it's an intentional, like you said, it's intentional, the families that I, I'd like them to be around so that they can see that loving relationship. And, and I guess that's, I guess that's my, my answer right now, but I also know it's, it's hard for people who are looking for somebody else to date and doing that. I'm not quite there yet. You know, I don't know if I ever will be. There's that stubborn, independent part of me again that says, no, when my kids are, you know, in college, maybe, maybe not, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but it's, um, I think there are a lot of different things that require a lot of strength. And for me too, it's, if the focus can be on the kids and getting them those healthy relationships around them, I think that takes most of our time anyway as a single parent and work and, and all that. So I think that's, all that's important in a quiet space. That's, what I, that's the other thing I'd say is I, I've found that when it's all feels like it's all on your shoulders, sometimes that quiet space of just nothing happening is something I don't think I needed as much before, sure. but I think I do now. You're very open in the book about the grief. Can we talk about the grieving process and how do we help? Um, you know, just got a chance to meet Pam who lost a son and, and you know, in the services, um, how do, how do we help? How do we deal with that? I mean, obviously, we're talking to a faith community, and I know that was a big part of it, but you, you said something pretty important towards the end of the book. You said, what I learned was no two people grieve alike or something right. to that extent. Tell us what you learned. Yeah, I think that that is one of the things that I've learned with grief is that it is the most confusing thing I've ever experienced, or one of the most confusing. I guess there are some other things too, but because it's unpredictable because there's no right way necessarily. And there are lots of books out there and there are certainly things you can do. But a few things that my friends have done when you talk about helping somebody else, you know, is one of them is they've told me, it's okay if you go in the ditch, I'm not gonna leave you there. And to me, the permission to be in the ditch was important. And the knowledge that I wouldn't be stuck there because they wouldn't allow it was powerful for me. I had a friend, one of my friends who would come over. I loved it that she would come over and it was just easy if I was in the mood to laugh or joke, she would. If I was had a dark cloud over my head, she'd just kind of sit there and say, like, where are we today? Like we kind of like yeah. just, you know, yeah, a, a, you know, just yeah. like a good friend. Yeah, just like if, if you want to sit and do nothing, then we sit and do nothing. Yeah. And I I thought that that was pretty powerful because you don't always have the words in grief. And I think that with widows, but also I just was talking to a woman who lost her son. I talked to her last night. She lost her son two months ago. He was in his 30s, and or he just turned 30, I think. Um, and one of the things I realized is that people feel guilt if they have joy after they've lost someone. I think I've never really met anybody that didn't have a moment or two of that at least. And they'll have it personally. It has nothing to do with how other people view them. But I also think that you have it personally, and if there are other people around you who are making a judgment of, well, she doesn't look like she's hurting that bad, and it's only been, you know, a week, or it's been a month. And what I'm learning is that 
it's very important to have those moments where you laugh at something or you, you have a break from it because it's coming back, you know, and whether you see it for them or not, it's coming back. The other thing is, for widows in particular, I noticed that some of my friends who lost their husbands seven to ten years ago, and I, I saw one of them, I don't see her very often, you know, I knew her more back that, you know, and her life has gone a different way and mine has, and but, you know, I have love for her and she's remarried and she has a child and it, it broke my heart a little bit because when I was talking to her and I was happy to see her happy, that she was telling me, she said something about missing her, her husband who she originally married. And, and I thought what broke my heart is that there's probably always a part of you as a widow who wants somebody else to know that you might have married again, you might have a child, but that they want you to remember that I loved this other person. Almost like it, you don't want it to negate your love of the first person. And I think as a widow, you know, hopefully people understand that marrying again may not be the same thing as it would for somebody who was divorced and married again and found an option that maybe made them happier or was different. And not all divorces are like that, of course, but yeah. But just as a, as a widow that it's, it's like you have one heart and you may have to find a way to grow another one. And that's a challenge or can be. And, well, let, yeah. let me ask you something about that. So as, you know, if we're Taya's friends, how do we help, like, how do we help, how do we help our friends who are going through a grieving process mm-hmm. honor that person who's gone without it, you know, where's the balance in that? Mm-hmm. Right. How often do we bring up, you know, right. the, the Chris, and if you're married later on, where's the balance in all that? Right, right. That is such a difficult thing to navigate. And yeah. although I'm a big proponent of bringing up the person who's passed, maybe once see how they react to it and just follow their lead. Even last night, this woman who only lost her son two months ago, I know she's probably still in a space where she wants to talk about it, but I don't want to make her cry. And we're at an event. So I I know I, no matter what I say, I know the feeling going up to somebody. And I did, I just, you know, I just said, if you don't want to talk about it, I'm good with it. If you want to talk about it, I just, I'm here, but I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. That, that you lost someone. And some people even get offended when you say, I'm sorry, you lost someone. It, there's no right way, but but I think if you're genuine in your nature and and allow them the opportunity to, to be whatever they feel in the moment, it's good. If they don't want to talk about it, they don't. You know, I have a friend who, who um, lost her husband who didn't want people to approach her. She was tired of it, of, are you okay? How are you doing? It bothered her. So I think maybe the main thing is if you see them, it's, hi, how are you? And and maybe you just acknowledge it and say, I'm not trying to get into your business, but I'm here for you if you ever want to talk yeah. about it. The Old Testament, mm-hmm. Job, you know, the Old Testament guy that lost everything, his friends came in and sat with him for a while. Yeah. And they were great until they opened their mouth. And you, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you said you said that about your friend. You know, she's kind of like, how are we today? Yeah. That yeah. seems like the right approach. Right. Will, will come up. It does. And then I can tell you that there is also there are also people I know who hate the term we because it's, you know, oh, sure. we aren't anything. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, whatever. It's, so I, it is like a so mind tread lightly. Maybe, or maybe it's just Or maybe it's just like, man, I'm here. Yeah. You want to be quiet? I'm quiet with you. You want to laugh? I'll laugh with you. You want to cry? I'll probably cry with you. Maybe it's something, maybe you just say that in a succinct way and, and just, I'm here. Because it hits in different times. It'll it get you. It'll get you out of the blue. I mean, yeah. I've got a, got a friend that his wife was, he's a pastor in Indianapolis and his wife was murdered and um, you know, he came, he, he, he just, even in interviews, just seemed like he 
pressed right on through it. Right. And and I know everybody, you know, they're going to criticize him for pressing through it faster and somebody else for, oh, it's two years, you know, why aren't you over it? Everybody's right. just got a different right. level. I don't know. It's how it works. You, you, had, you bring up a good point with that, with the grieving, that maybe the answer is more just that we don't judge. And maybe the opportunity for us is to be non-judging and selfless, meaning it's not about what I think I can bring to you. It's just about me being with where you wherever you are. And, and if you're the type of guy that's moving through it, I'm your champion. I'm selflessly loving you. I think that's what God asked us to do. And if you're crying and you're still crying five years later, you know, I have compassion for you. I'll sit with you while you cry. And, and maybe that's the blessing that we get out of being next to somebody else who's grieving is being able to be in a place that's supportive without judgment, without telling somebody else what to do, but just saying, yeah, man, it's life. However you're feeling is how you're feeling. Yeah. And, and the last thing you need is for me to say, oh, come on, you know, let's, it's time for you to move to this yeah. next level or whatever. Right. I mean, right. you know, hopefully anybody going through that process has got real counselors and real people in their life that can help. Right help them walk through the stages. Our right. job is just to be there. Tell us about um, your faith journey through, through even through um, while Chris was alive and then during your grieving process, what that meant to you in your life. You mention it in your book and uh, how you, prayer has always been a part of your life, but why don't you share some of that? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it really has been an interesting thing. I grew up Episcopalian and the, the Lord's Prayer is something that I said and and I did feel a close relationship with God and and then there were times where I just wanted to be me not not have to need or learn and figure out what that was like just being me and it I was never in doubt that that God was there definitely uh, I think I did what maybe a lot of people do at some point in their life is try to try to see how it is without um, needing it so much and what I found was the real gift in the dark parts of my life, the real gift is I have grown closer to God. And I am stronger. I'm more faithful. And we have a choice, I think, between being hateful and bitter. Or we can say, I'm stronger and I'm more faithful. And that, that means something. And that's, it's temporary. This whole life is temporary. I, I think that that might be scary to some people. To me, it's it's such a weight lifted off my shoulders because I know it's going to go by quickly, the pain and the good times. So I better enjoy the good times yeah. and I don't have to worry about the bad because it's going to fly by. Yeah. And I've also learned that worrying doesn't change a thing. I've been very fearful for Chris's life since the day I met him. Sure. And maybe there's some part of it I think that might be written in your soul. I really believe that. Like sometimes I think we know stuff, but even if you have this underlying feeling in your heart that you kind of know how something might go, worrying about it or trying to change it doesn't help anything because we don't know. I mean, there's no way I could have predicted how his life would end. So the fact that I wanted him to wear sunblock and not get cancer and you know, yeah. not yeah. chew tobacco yeah. and right. not eat yeah. too much bacon, like those things, I can't predict it. So I think in some ways what these experiences have taught me is that my anxieties are, are not worth the time and that we're going to be okay regardless that there's a blessing in everything I it, people sometimes ask me about Chris's murder when it comes to God and say how could God let that happen and I think that there are a couple promises well there are a lot of promises but a couple promises for that 
certain situation with God that I look at, and that is that God promises free will to everybody. He doesn't just promise it to good people. Right. He promises it to people who choose to do evil. And this person who murdered Chris and, and his friend Chad, he did not have PTSD, although that was something they, they wanted said. At least psychiatrists in the prosecution and defense both testified he never had the T, the trauma. So, yeah. so he was enabled, you know, and yeah. in my opinion, he was enabled by a lot of different people, and he did drugs, and he made bad choices, and he was an armor in the military. It had nothing to do with his access to guns. It was just, you know, this was going to happen. And, and he thought about killing them on the way down, but he didn't want to get hurt. And so my point with all that is this person had free will. I believe God knew what he was going to decide. And I, I look back and... he and, could have stopped it. I mean, he we, could we, have, we, right? We, but we he would have to that. break his promise for free will. But, but that's right. that person's free will. Right. And so I think that's a matter of God keeping his promises. But the other promise is that God says he will bring beauty through the ashes. And he does. And it doesn't mean that you're not mad about the ashes or you're not saying I don't like the ashes but I think it's almost reckless to ignore the beauty that comes through it because there's far more good typically that comes out of every hurtful act if you look for it and and part of the good is that we as people have an opportunity to be there for somebody else we have an opportunity to come together I know you talked about that too in your community and if you let it, it can be a really amazing part of your journey to expand your heart and to, to enhance the relationships of those that come with you to help somebody else. So, yeah, in every situation, there's maybe a sacrificial lamb sort of thing, but they can be blessed by our actions to them as well. We don't know yeah. the God of comfort unless we need the God of comfort. And there's a, there's a level at which, I mean, you can look at... You look, just look at older people that have been walking with God for a long time, and you just, there's just, they either become, you know, a bitter old person because of the things that have happened, or they just have this, it's I mean, peace. you know, so many of the, our parents and, you know, so many of the, that generation, we just look at them and know they have a peace. We know they've been through it, you know, right. they've all been through it, they're going through it, right. um, but they're, they're trusting there. And then, I guess, you know, when we've just come through Easter, it just doesn't get, you know, it doesn't get any more important to me that I can't wait to meet Chris. Yeah. And I really believe that he's there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, whatever happens for the rest of your life, someday you're going to look back on it and go, oh, yeah, I forgot we were, you know, separated for these few years right. or whatever. You're going yeah. to know he's there. That's, there's nothing more important than that to me. You know, we, we pray in a way that's grateful to God for giving us the time that we had because the impact of Chris is forever. Like you said, there'll be times where we probably don't remember he's not there. And the other thing we do is, I, f I feel like there's a part of heaven that's supposed to be joyful and fun and, and all of those things. And so in the early days, we would pray that, that Jesus would give Chris a big bear hug because he was so humble and we could just see him going, oh no, 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 like, like seriously, like no, like not again, or don't look at me, or why is everybody looking at me, or why is Jesus taking the time to do this? And whether that happens or not, it just, I think for our prayer life and for our life of picturing him in heaven, you know, happy and that Jesus yes. is there and that all's well. And that's a beautiful thing for all of us, I think, that love someone else is that we know even if we pass tomorrow, the way that we love somebody matters and it stays with us. Things we don't even know, the simple things. This, this woman that was talking to me last night who lost her son, she said there was a guy who her son knew in fourth grade, and her son was very introverted, very shy, 
And he moved after the fourth grade, but he, when he heard about this guy's death, he came back and he told his mother, he said, I was, there was a kid who was kind of a bully to me in fourth grade, and your son stuck up for me, and I'll never forget it. And she said, I never knew that story. Yeah. My son didn't hang his hat on it, didn't even think probably much of it. But for all of us, there's something we do in our daily lives that, that matters and that, that carries somebody else through. And I think those kinds of stories are things that we wouldn't know without grief, yeah. without loss. And it's painful. It really is. But if you look at it from a bigger view, it's okay to have that pain because it's a fallen world. We don't get a chance to see all the beauty, but we yeah. do sometimes with tragedy. You can clap. She's not here, but you can clap. Mm. She'll, uh, she'll get to see it on the internet. So thank you, Taya. We're really uh, appreciative. The, the, the two things that came out of that really for me are about trusting God and learning what you can do with what God allows to have happen in your, search, in, in your circumstance. Because, again, i, I got to say it, I understand how Mother's Day works for a lot of people. We, we want to celebrate. Um, we want to do all these things. But there's a lot of, you know, there, 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 maybe there was dysfunction. Maybe mom is gone. Um, maybe you're not a mom and you want to be. You know, so many different emotions that go into this. And it's so difficult for us to try to figure this whole thing out. Here, here's what I wanted, you to, I, I wanted you to know along the way. I don't know if you caught that Natalie, who's leading worship with us today, was on The Voice this season. She actually works for one of our elders, our bass player, Jim, and uh, he, he invited her to come. We invited her to come and sing this weekend. And you may not have also figured out along the way that Chris Sly, who's one of our worship leaders now, was an American Idol top 10 finalist back in season six. Um, here's a picture of both of them, just so that you can kind of understand who they, who they were, okay? And, and so they're both singing on our stage this weekend. Why do I bring that up? Um, it's kind of not, I mean, it's not painful to them now, but at the moment that this was going on, they wanted to win. That's why they went on there, right? But, but if they would have won, they wouldn't be here with us today, you know? And, and, and they've been able to use that experience, whatever, to go forward with what is happening. And Taya, I don't believe, I agree with what she said. I don't believe that God caused this guy to kill her husband. I, don't, I know that God could have changed things if he wanted to. I, I just believe that this guy was messed up and this, you know, God doesn't get involved in the free will of people. Um, that's how it works. But... Um, I know that Taya has a platform now where she is able to speak. I mean, just to see her and Pam top and just be able to connect. Uh, so many people that she's able to encourage, and all of us. And by the way, after I had this idea, a couple of my other megachurch pastor friends went and interviewed Taya. So she's preaching in L.A. and you know Chicago and all kinds of stuff this weekend on video because of this thing happening. It is really great testimony. And, and what I mean is... That doesn't happen unless you take where you are, what's going on in your life, and, and you allow God to use it. You can become bitter or better. We talk about that all the time. You, you allow God to use it, and you say, okay, I'm sad. This is terrible. It's a bad situation. Now what do I do with it? And then I go back to the whole beginning of, um, you know, who, who do you trust? Here's, here's what the psalmist says. Psalm 91. 
Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This is like God is our Father, our Father in heaven, yeah. But there's some mother parts to God too. Listen to this. Whoever dwells in the, sh- in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. That's what the mother bird does, by the way. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrows that fly by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. You will not have to fear the darkness. Um, When it comes to insomnia, when it comes to those things at night, again, Taya lost a lot of sleep worrying about things that never happened when he was at war and she had no idea what was going to happen later on. This is totally and completely about trusting your heavenly Father. He used whatever it is that happens along the way. But whatever's going on in your Mother's Day, know that you are safe in His arms. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to—I want to pray over these people here. I—I I know that there is a mom in here who was very encouraged when she came up and told me today that she got a call from jail, wishing her happy Mother's Day. And um, that's not what she want the situation that she wanted to be in but at least he called and it sounds like he's doing good where he is and I think of that situation and I know there's a there, there are other people in this room right now just gone through some super tragic things in their life and in their families and I and those are stories that I know about and I don't even know at all a fraction of the stories that are represented in this room and the people that are listening to me. But Lord, will you help them to know that they are safe in your arms and none of the worrying and insomnia is going to do any good because you've got it under control. Let us rest under your wings. And, and for those who have gone through these tough situations, let them be the encouragers, the God of comfort, comfort them so that they can comfort others in their trouble. And thank you for Taya. We pray for her this Mother's Day. I know that um, it's not her first one, but I know that this is a especially hard day for her as it is for many. Help us all to remember that we're safe in your arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.